Thinner Logs is a Chicago-based sketch group that writes comedy grounded in shared true, personal stories about our existence as lifelong nerds. We started your stories to give everyone a chance to do what we do, share their own stories, and foster a more heartfelt, welcoming nerd community. Your Stories is about embracing the weird and obscure in your life and asserting your geekdom with a group that gets your references. And, most importantly, Your Stories is a place to bring people up, not to put anyone down. Hey everybody, my name's Eric Arnaud, and this is part two of the Nerdalog Presents Your Stories October podcast, which is centered on the theme of 1993, although this time out, we diverted from the theme just a bit. Uh, enjoy speakers Chris Crotwell, Jeremy Connie, and myself talking about a variety of topics, from meteorology to Scotland to parenting, plus the usual music from me, Dwight Hassler, and Claire Friedman. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on with the Nerdalogs these days, so I hope you like us, because you're about to hear all about it. For instance, in November, we're doing our first sketch run in over a year. So come to the Public House Theater, 3914 North Clark Street, the first four Fridays of November at 10 p.m. to see our epic comedy show, The Multiverse vs. George Lucas. We'll be exploring the universe, or actually all the universes, to put together a team of heroes that can take down the most nefarious evil that's ever been seen. Uh, it will be funnier than it sounds, and hopefully it sounds funny, but it's a super great show. Uh, tickets are $15, and they are available at pubhousetheater.com. Uh, other things that are happening at the pub include a Nerdalogs trivia party this upcoming Sunday, November 3rd at 7pm. Take on your favorite nerds in rounds of trivia, and win prizes like tickets to the show we just talked about, but also other stuff. Uh, the next Your Stories recording is Sunday, November 17th at the pub at 7pm. To tie in with our sketch run, the night will be themed across the universe. We'll also be teaming up with Improvised Star Trek, A Klingon Christmas Carol, and Chicago Loot Drop to tell stories and raise money for charity, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't also come share a story. So check our Facebook page for more info on that as it develops. Uh, finally, as always, thanks everyone for listening to our podcast, and don't forget there are two other great Nerdalog shows out there, MBSing and the Nerdalogcast, which you can find on iTunes by searching The Nerdalogs Presents. Uh, I think that's everything I've got, so everyone have a great week, and we hope to see you soon. So, um, this is a pretty cool song that came out in that year. Tell me, do you think it'd be alright? I could just crash here tonight You can see I'm in no shape for driving Anyway, I've got no place to go And you know it might not be that bad You were the best I'd ever had If I hadn't blown the whole thing years ago I'd not be You can trust me not to think And not to sleep around If you don't expect too much from me You might not be let down Cause all I really want's to be with you Feeling like I matter too If I hadn't blown the whole thing years ago I might be here with you 
it'd be alright If I could just crash here tonight You can see I'm in no shape for driving Anyway, I've got no place to go And you know it might not be that bad You were the best I'd ever had She took my heart There's only one thing I couldn't start is gone but something might be found to take its place did you pick that on purpose with that line because that's very fitting for the night maybe uh-huh. <laughs> Dwight has the secrets <laughs> we got some more stories coming up first and next Mr. Chris Crotwell yeah. oh, it's been nice a lot of the nights been sort of melancholy feeling I think nostalgia sort of sepia toned but my story is definitely lots of shades of white uh, the defining event for me of 1993 uh, wasn't technological or astronomical or even horticultural didn't happen on a screen uh, the defining event of 1993 for me was definitely meteorological because in 1993 it snowed a lot and I know for a lot of people from here or the Midwest in general that's not a big deal but when you're born in St. Vincent's Hospital in Birmingham, Alabama And you spend your entire life, until two years ago, living in an hours-long drive bubble from that hospital? (laughs) Anything that can be called the blizzard of 93 is a huge fucking deal. (laughs) And that's what we call it. Like, anyone who was in Alabama in 1993 knows about the blizzard of 93. It was was world-ending, and it was the single best thing that had ever happened to me. Um, and it wasn't a little snow. It snows some in Alabama. You get that sort of dirty inch of snow. And you get maybe four hours to work with it. And with those meager resources and time constraints, you can only have so much fun. But you try your ass off because it's something sort of magical about it and it's really rare. Snow's important. It's a finite resource that maybe you get four hours of it every year. And it's like shitty, dirty, red gray, green snow, but you make the most of it. You make your crappy three-and-a-half-foot-tall snowman. But in 93, it snowed, and it kept snowing, and it kept snowing, until there were snowdrifts in our yard taller than me. All the cars disappeared. We lost power. We didn't have power for a week. I didn't go to school for a week. And it it was seven That's a a fucking miracle You don't go to school for a week It was amazing And the world was transformed In a way that I'd never ever thought I would see it Before I could dig tunnels My brother had a bunch of friends staying over He's ten years older than me So they were all teenagers And they were stuck at our house They had no way to go anywhere So they had to play with me they had to. They didn't have to just like follow them around like, hey guys, I want to listen to Aerosmith too. They had to play with me. So it was all 
snowball fights and building huge snowmen and like building fortresses and digging tunnels. And it was absolutely incredible. And it didn't snow like that again. After that, a week of curling up with my family on the living room floor under all the blankets. Everyone had to sleep in there because it's where the fireplace was. The central heat was broken and it was really cold. For Alabama, 15, 20 degrees, people died. Bunches of people died. And that really didn't rain on my parade because I was seven. I don't think mortality was much on my radar. (laughs) It was probably mostly old people. And the way I thought about death when I was seven is that, you know, I haven't met most of those people anyway. Which, though statistically still true, I'm a little more serious about it these days. (laughs) Mortality. You can't really shake it off like that. Um, But it was incredible. And so my dad bought a generator and a sled. Because my yard was three acres of only hills, so sledding was incredible, but we didn't have a sled because we lived in the middle of Alabama. And so we had big sheets of linoleum from when we'd been building the house. It's like kitchen flooring linoleum. And Dad would just, just cut two holes in the front of big sheets of it, and you just pull it up towards you and tear ass down a hill. <laughs> it was amazing. But we bought a sled, and we bought a generator, and then I waited the next year for snow. And it didn't happen in 94, or 95, or 96, or 97. In fact, I didn't see real snow again until I moved here two years ago. The first snow before 93 had been when my parents met in an ice storm about 10 years earlier, in around 84. So I thought, you know what snows? We get real snow every 10 fucking years. So you wait. And you dust off the sled, and you sit at a window, and you think, maybe, maybe it's going to snow again this year. And it didn't. It never did. Never. Not for 20 years. Still hasn't snowed again. Not in Alabama. But now, living here, every year, when it starts snowing, I lose my goddamn mind. (laughs) Just lose my fucking mind. This is incredible. Like, this is just... Bizarre precipitation that covers everything and is multi-purpose and beautiful. And I get super excited when, like, everybody's just trudging around and they're, like, just grumpy Midwestern shitty attitudes about the snow. Just waiting for a red line, single frozen fucking tear. (laughs) To go to hell. The snow's amazing. Every time it happens now, I'm seven again. And there aren't a lot of things like that. Every time it snows in Chicago, I get to be seven. You know? And you feel incredible. Last year, it didn't snow, and it didn't snow, and it didn't snow. And I went to sleep Christmas Eve pissed off. Because what's even the point of living in Chicago if it's not snowy on Christmas? What's even the point? Why did I drive 12 hours to be here if it's not going to be snowy on Christmas Day? And I woke up in the morning... And got ready to spend a lovely day at Joe's house with Eric. And everything was covered in snow. And I wasn't home. I didn't get to see my parents. But everything was covered in snow. And it was one of the best Christmas days I've had in a long time. Because I got to feel like I was seven. Which I get to do every year for a little bit. Even long past the season where it's any fun. When it's just gray slush that ruins all of your shoes and pants. I still enjoy it. Because it's rare, and it's special. And when you're a kid from Alabama, 
It doesn't feel like it's going to happen next year. It never feels like it's going to happen next year. Thank you, Chris. I'll I'll make a promise. I'll try not to come down so hard on snow this year because I'll think of your story and and your your childlike innocence and love of snow. I I do not like snow. I own a car, but living living in the city, it should be a little more manageable than when I was out in the suburbs. Uh, Mr. Jeremy Connie, everybody. Just a little bit as well. I like to stand just like Chris, but I like to stand above all of you guys. <laughs> so I'm going to take a break from 1993. I'm going to talk about my trip to Scotland. I was just in Scotland for two weeks. Uh, I'm going to talk about it because it's very fresh in my mind, and it's a grand adventure that I went on very recently, and I'd love to share with you guys. Specifically, uh, if you'll have me, uh, the whole trip was an adventure, but one night was a particularly embarrassing adventure that I'd like to, li- I'd like to talk about tonight. Uh, I was there for two weeks. I was there for travel photography. I was taking a lot of landscape photos, and over the course of two weeks, within the first like first quarter, I had landed this great pattern of what each day was going to be like. Because I had to go a lot of places, I figured out, all right, I got to find out my destination, drive there, set up where I'm going to sleep, usually a hostel, and uh, shoot, go to sleep. And it worked. It worked great for like five days. And then on the fifth day, it broke. It broke hard. (laughs) And you got to think to yourself, what was different? About that day, I, I had arrived at my destination, which was Ullapool, which is a fairy town on the west coast of Scotland. I had set up my hostel, I had gotten a couple of drinks, and then the next day I woke up in my car. I didn't wake up in a bed, I woke up in my car with this. Reserve online, room four, please return your key on your departure, five pound charge for lost keys. This is the key to the hostel. The key to my room in the hostel. Now what was different about that night than all the other nights that I had gone? I had this great pattern. Well, this was the first night that I had gotten the gumption and luck and the comfortability to drink with the locals. That's right. I was drinking with Scottish locals in a small fairy town where there's not much else to do than drink. Uh, I had gotten over my nervousness of being able to approach people, and I chatted up with a couple of people at a bar, and we ended up drinking for that whole night. Uh, I'm going to tell you about the the proceeds of that evening. We they they naturally go on bar crawls for some reason. This was a Sunday night, and I was drinking with people around my age, a little bit younger, and they were like drinking at five and. We had a beer at the place that I had gotten food at, and then like, great, we're going to the next one. And I'm like, wait, that's perfectly good right here. <laughs> like, no, 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 we're going to the next one. <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay. So out of like the five bars in town, we hit them all. And I learned a couple of things that night, a little Scottish secrets that they were telling me. First of all, you cannot just have a scotch. You have to have a beer or a pint of something else with it. So that led me to get... That helped the night for me. (laughs) Uh, Their pints are much bigger than our pints. 
They're 20 ounces where our pints are 16 ounces. So that helped a lot for the night. Uh, no one drinks... Uh, Tenants is the Scottish beer. It's like the Miller of Scotland. It's brewed and distributed around Scotland. Uh, nobody drinks it. Everybody hates it. It's like Foster's in Australia. <laughs> and, and apparently, according to this girl that I met, no one drinks scotch except for Isle de Jura, which is a spe- specific type of, uh, of of single malt scotch. If you're going to drink scotch, it's weird, apparently. So I was weird for wanting to drink whiskey scotch there. So I, I was on this bar crawl, just this tear around this tiny little town, getting drunk off my ass and not being able to keep up with the locals at all. But I had a great time. And somewhere, and I don't drink that, I don't let myself drink that much anymore because uh, I have a propensity to blackout. My, my blackout, if you look at the number line uh, of drunkenness, uh, with the title Jeremy's drunkenness right above it, you go from sober to drunk and, you know, or sober to like puking, which is like way too drunk. My blackout is like right in the middle. <laughs> so there's like drunk and then blackout. And then if I somehow get to that point, which I haven't in a very long time, then it's really bad. But my blackout is really soon. And so I got there. I got there on, yeah, I think we were at bar three, which we stayed at for a long time. And I've suddenly I brought out. I didn't know what was going on. The next memory I had that I pieced together the next day was being shook and awake in my ho- uh, the hostel bed saying, you peed right there. You, you did this. And I was like, I, I don't think I would do that. <laughs> I, I don't think I would. I, I don't, that doesn't seem like me. And like, you have to go. You have to go. You have to go right now. I was like, okay. And then I black out again. I brown out. I don't know how uh, I got to where I was, but suddenly I regain consciousness again. You know, I figure out I'm me again. And I'm aware that I'm surrounded by residential buildings that I have no recollection of. I'm pretty sure I steered myself out of the hostel and said, all right, I'm just going to go sleep in my car then, whatever. And somewhere between the hostel and the car, I had gotten myself completely the other direction and in a residential neighborhood of Ullapool that was nowhere near what I needed to be. And I figured out that it was nowhere near where I needed to be by walking a lot. I had enough sense, while absolutely blasted still, that if I just kept walking in one direction for a while, I would get to something I recognized. Not a bad plan. I was in a small town. I didn't know this small town, but I figured I got to hit something, some sort of signpost that I recognize. So I walk in a direction, get to the end of that direction to where I could go, (laughs) go all the way back and do that several times in each direction, and I got nowhere. And I, I was completely lost. And there are a couple of times in my life when I feel have felt completely lost, and this is another one on the pile. And I don't, I don't really, in the moment, I I hate it. It's entirely nerve wracking to figure out that you're very lost, and without something to change, you're going to continue being lost. 
This was at 2 a.m., by the way. Everybody was asleep. No one's roaming the town. I had no help. So I, yeah, I found... The, the way I got out of it is I found uh, a bed and breakfast that was very closed. And I went outside of my comfort zone and my polite zone, and I just rang the doorbell a lot until someone came to the door. And I go, I'm very sorry, but I need, to, I'm lost and I need to get back to town center. And she goes, you've been drinking? <laughs> I, go, I just need to get to the town center. She's like, well, you just go out this way and you go, you take a right and you just keep going. And I said, thank you. Thank you so much. And I got back to my car just fine. And I slept in my car for that night, which is what I did a quarter of the nights in Scotland anyways. But that feeling of being lost, which completely lost, like I don't know what to do and have to sit down and think about it type of lost, is something I've only gotten a couple of times in my life. And I associate it with true adventure. And that's why I'm okay with doing that sometimes. I don't want that to happen a lot of times. But I'm okay with an adventure and times in my life being happening where I'm absolutely fucking lost. Because it kind of like, until you don't have something, you don't really truly appreciate having it. I also associate it with you can't have a good picture without the dark parts. So it's good to have those dark parts sometimes. And I'm proud of them. I'm proud of being able to let go and be lost sometimes. Thanks, guys. Welcome back, dude. Thanks, man. Glad to, you, you first announced your trip publicly at your stories, I believe. So That's true. Pretty cool. Okay, so yeah, anyway, um, I don't usually prepare stories. This is was actually written as a blog post. It's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. It's not specifically super 1993 heavy, but it does relate. Because uh, 1993 is the year my parents got divorced. Um, oh yeah, P.S., this has mostly been a pretty lighthearted night. Uh, I'm going to change that. So, get ready. Um, yeah, so, uh, my they separated in 92, uh, but they got divorced in 93, and and that was a f- obviously a formative year for me. So this is about parents, and it's about Nico Case. So even back when I was a metal kid, I was drawn to the music of Nico Case. Her vocals are absolutely stunning, of course, but there's also a kind of beautiful celebratory loneliness champion in her tunes that you, uh, that you might imagine appeal to a kid who still argued for the quality of Poison or Kiss in his late college days. Uh, <laughs> Consider the chorus from her song, Hold On, Hold On. I leave the party at 3 a.m., alone, thank God, with a Valium from the bride, it's the devil I love. Uh, Although finding solace in pain medication isn't really something I can relate to exactly, I definitely get the emotion behind that verse. The idea that sometimes when you're around a bunch of happy people who are together, you just want to enjoy your solitude. Uh, But despite my past love for Miss Case's work, I hadn't really prepared myself for her latest album, The worse things get, the harder I fight, the harder I fight, the more I love you. Which, by the way, came out like two weeks ago. Um, This has been an emotional year for me. It was kicked off by the death of my grandmother, who basically was my only living relative I had any kind of closeness with. 
Uh, maybe I shouldn't have been too surprised to find out that uh, Miss Case's grandmother, to whom she was also very close, passed away too while she was writing the album, and that the feelings resulting from that in part propelled the creation of the record. The Worst Things Get contains what I think is the single saddest, most touching song I have ever heard. It always makes me tear up at least a little bit. Not even my musical paragon, Bruce Springsteen, has ever written a piece that's accomplished that feat. The song is called Nearly Midnight Honolulu, and instead of quoting its lyrics, I'm just going to make us all listen to it, and uh, that way you'll know what I'm talking about. Claire, can you play the song, please? It's two and a half minutes. Hey, little kid that I saw at the bus stop one day. It was nearly midnight in Honolulu. We were waiting for the shuttle to take us to the aeroplane. When your mother said, your mother said, like I couldn't hear her, she said, Get the fuck away from me. Why don't you ever shut up? Get the fuck away from me. Oh, oh. Well, I just want to say that it happened. Cause one day when you ask yourself, did it really happen? You won't believe it, but yes it did, and I'm sorry, and I'm sorry, cause it happens every day. They won't believe you when you tell them, they won't believe you. When you say my mother, she did not love me. My mother, she did not love me. No, 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 you feel like a cartoon and people will rush to make excuses for you you'll hear yourself complain but don't you ever shut up please kid have your say cause I still love you even if I don't see you again. It's the song. Uh, is it silly to suggest that this song is important? Because I think it is. I think it has something very necessary to say about the relationship between parents and children in our culture. The narrative we as a people tell ourselves is that parents are always deserving of our love and respect, that somehow they're heroes or martyrs because nine months before you were born they fucked and you came out. That is some straight up bullshit. I mentioned earlier that my grandmother was my only living relative I was close to. My mother is literally dead. My father's dead to me. My father is a terrible human being and I can only guess that the new family he's chosen rises to meet him in his terribleness. With my mother, it's more complicated. She was a good person, but troubled, by alcohol mostly, but also by a life that clearly didn't play out as she planned. I love my mother. I hate my father. I think both feelings are valid. I think it's brave of Nico Case to write a song about how sometimes parents are worthless pieces of shit, because it seems like that's taboo to say, but it happens. I don't know if it happens a lot, but it definitely happens. 
My dad was mentally ill, my mom just wasn't a good person, Nico told The Guardian in an interview. And they were both drug addicts and alcoholics, so they shouldn't have had a kid. And they were children when they did, which, you know, I don't blame anyone for any of that. I don't blame anyone for anything. But they would pop back into my life and just use. I don't know Nico Case. I have all of her records and I follow her on Twitter, but I don't know her. But I read this interview and I felt like maybe I get her more than I initially would have thought. I don't know what it's like to live on a farm in rural Vermont, or to ride horses, or to make records with the new pornographers. But I know what it's like to have, a con- uh, to have conflicted feelings about your parents. And I know what it's like to lose a grandmother who really embodies what family means to you. And I know what it's like to feel lonely, but also to be okay with it. Again to the Guardian interview. I'm just going to put on my it's-going-to-be-shitty-today uniform, punch my card, and carry on. I have to do this until it clears up, Nico said. The Worst Things Get may not end up being my favorite album of the year. Right now it's neck and neck with Aqua River's The Silver Gymnasium. But it definitely will be the album released this year that means the most to me. I kind of needed to have this record come out because what I take to be its message is one that cannot be repeated enough. Bad things will happen. Don't deny them. Don't feel ashamed of them. And keep on pushing through. It's going to be okay. That's my story about Nico Casey. Claire, I hate you too. Yeah. Um, sorry to be so heavy, but I, I just felt like that was worth sharing. Um, I'm not trying to shit on anyone who does have great parents, and I think you should recognize that as well. But listen, you don't owe your parents anything if they were awful. That's my main message here, so don't feel like you do. All right. Here's a song that's happier than that. <laughs> One, two, three. When I wake up... Well, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who wakes up next to you When I go out, yeah, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who goes along with you When I get drunk, well, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who gets drunk next to you And if I hate I, hey, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who's havering to you Yes, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who's working hard for you. And when the money comes in for the work I do, I'll pass almost every penny on to you. When I come home, when I come home, oh, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who comes back home to you. And if I grow old, well, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who's growing old with you. I'm gonna be the man who's lonely without you And when I'm dreaming Well, I know I'm gonna be I'm gonna dream about the time when I'm with you When I go out When I go out Well, I know I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the man who goes along with you And when I come home When I come home Yes, I know I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the man who comes back home to you I'm gonna be the man who's coming home 500
Thanks, guys. This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.